This episode is made possible by our generous patrons. To learn more, visit patreon.com forward slash ink to film. Welcome to the Ink to Film podcast, where we read the book and then see the movie. I'm James. And I'm Luke. And this week, we cover the first four episodes of HBO's limited series, Sharp Objects. about you but i'm so excited that this book got adapted and i'm so excited that this series exists i'm having a lot of fun with it it's 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 i mean it's great i i i've been blown away by what i've seen so far we're four episodes in we should say haven't watched episode five yet even though it's out because we're going to save that just from the way that we're dividing this up so the way that we're going to cover this this project here is we've already we've already read the first what eight chapters the first half of the book we've read and covered that episode's out and then this episode covers the first four episodes. Next episode is going to be most of the the rest of the book, other than the last two chapters. Yeah. And then we're going to cover the next three episodes of the yeah, show. Uh, leading up to the finale, but not the finale. Leading up to the finale. And then we're going to do the finale and the last two chapters of the book all in one episode. All in one episode. Which I wanted to talk to you about. Um, we need to decide, and, and maybe we could each do something different. I don't know. I just wanted to get your take on you know on on, on record. How do you want to do that final one? Do we want to read the book before we watch the finale? Like finish the book before the finale? Or do we want to watch the finale and then go back and read the last two chapters? You know, what could be interesting is if you read the finale and I watch the finale first and then just say yeah. like what our reaction is. And kind of compare. Because we're both going to watch both, but just which one do we do first? Right. Yeah. I think that sounds good. Yeah, I could read I could read and then watch and then you can do the, do the opposite and we can kind of talk about maybe what that how that affected our viewing or, or whatever that sounds good sounds cool so in this episode we're going to start out with some general thoughts kind of talk about the show what we think of it and then we're, i'm going to tell you a little bit about the filmmaker and showrunner as well and then we're going to get into full spoilers so we'll let you know when the spoilers start but it's basically as soon as our coverage of the episodes start yeah okay so general thoughts tell me tell me what you thought camille preaker has really solidified herself as just an amazing character in my mind she's so interesting she's so flawed and damaged and seeing amy adams portrayal really just elevates it to me i mean like i like the character in the book too but her portrayal is really fantastic uh my wife told me a story she read um she wrote an article that said that to get her to look like she does in the show she ate a ton of she is like constantly eating a ton of high sodium foods to like make her seem a little bit puffier and she uh like the way they did her makeup is like having it all runny and like making her look pallid and she was like staying out of the sun and stuff so she has that kind of pale complexion all to make her look like an alcoholic right who's just like sweating vodka out of her pores and just like it, it's so it's so convincing she she's really good in this role yeah and i mean so many so many of the characters in the show like seeing them on screen are just like taking it to the next level for me because these characters fl- like adora seeing Adora in the actual show makes her even more believable to me because it felt like it was a character in a story. And then when I see it on screen, it feels so much more intense or real. And then also Emma, like Emma's character is, is less kind of outwardly 
evil than I thought she was going to be. You know what I mean? Like, there's more of like a, there's more of something there that's like endearing, like a little, like a little girl would be. All the characters feel slightly more nuanced so far in the show. Uh, Adora is a prime example of that, where I actually feel more sorry for her and more empathetic towards her than I did in the book, where I kind of was just viewed her as almost a villain. Right. Um, but I, I don't know, like, Maybe as the book goes on, that would have changed. That's something that'll be interesting to see next week when we read more of it. And I, I do want to say, like, we don't we don't always have this opinion. This is not just like, oh, we've, we've read something and now we see the thing and it's like, oh, it's come to life and it's so much better. That's not always the case. No. But in this particular instance, I think both of us are really struck by the vision that this uh, showrunner and director is really helping to bring to life. And I mean, this show's beautiful. I, I'm constantly amazed at the at the set design, uh, the colors, the 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 overall kind of sweaty feel of everything. They really capture that. And then um, I'm going to rave about the sound design a lot, but that is something that has repeatedly every time I see an episode jumps out at me. How good the sound design is, in particular, the music and how it's given to us is. Um, I don't know if you noticed this. You probably did. But every single time we get music in this show, it has a source in a scene. It's never just it's never just music. It's always coming from something, whether it's a car, you know, stereo, whether it's an iPod, whether it's, you know, Alan's stereo in the house or whatever it might be. There's always a source for the sound. And, and that's so cool to me. I totally agree. In film. It's a diegetic sound is something that has an actual source rather than it just being like some present thing that that's like playing out through the movie to give the viewers. You can use it to ground it, right? You can use right. it to ground it and make it feel like it actually is in the real world. And I, I definitely wanted to talk to you about that because I started realizing this in the first or second episode. And then as we get further along and it's like, what does music normally do? It's forcing, it's, it's, you can't control it, right? The music is going to make you feel a certain way. It's not something mm. that you have any sort of say in. So it's the way that the filmmaker can be like, this is how you're going to feel now or how the characters feel. As the story plays out, I don't want to spoil anything, but as the story plays out, we realize like there are reasons behind it. And I thought that was so powerful that that he was this happens so much, too, because there are so many things that we get flashes of mundane items, things throughout the show that we just think, oh, like he's very artistic. We're seeing a lot of different shots of regular day, everyday things you would see in a small town. And it felt it feels like to me every single thing comes back, comes back around. Yeah. I mean, there's two things that that makes me want to mention. First, so first off with the sound, yeah, it's like the sound is also, it's it's working on multiple levels, right? It's making, it's taking something and making it do more than one job, which in fiction writing or in film, I think is a great, it's a great thing to do. And so, yeah, while you get this music that's setting tone, that's setting feeling, you're also, uh, usually it's linked to a character, whether that's Alan listening to his classical music or whether that's her, her iPhone or, or, you know, the iPod or whatever it is. Or it's the the kid beating the drum in episode four, I think. It's, it's so it, it it tells us something about the character who is producing that music in some fashion, right? Like, so it's just cool how it's like it. So many things are are clever in that way. And then what you were talking about with the little what what they're showing us this show, the way it handles memory, flashback, all that stuff is so brilliant. Like it's yeah. So she she'll see something or hear something, and it will trigger a specific memory which is then shown to us, which is then brought back and it kind of blends with what's happening in the present. Um, and then we, we literally see her being haunted by the memories of her past as well and uh, hallucinating them into reality. And the way that all blends together creates this really kind of dreamy 
feel that um, where you kind of aren't sure all the time what's real and what's not, which makes it, it's also very close to her, to Camille's perspective in that sense too, which it's just really cool. I, I don't know. It just, we talked about it in the book, how it's, it's all Camille's perspective. So we kind of have that like we, we unreliable narrator possibly. And we're getting that in the show as well, even though we do, we do get more with like, you know, Richard and we get more with, with uh, chief Vickery and some other characters where she's not present, but overall the show still feels very grounded in her perspective. Yeah. The fluidity of the present and the past and like the flashbacks and the way that a younger Camille will run out of the room and then present day Camille will like race after her and stuff. And then within the edit also, we're seeing a lot of like things that couldn't be, couldn't happen. And you were saying like, it's still almost dreamlike things that couldn't happen or, or demons that she's dealing with. I like that is honestly probably one of the major parts of the show that makes it feel so fresh and exciting. And, and it's yeah. so much fun to watch. And well, and the words, right. The words that she carves into herself, we see, we see them um, on things. And, and sometimes it's not clear whether or not it's real or it is a hallucination. She'll see a word written in dust on a car or she'll see it scratched into the side of a car whatever you know and we never and it's sometimes difficult to know is that her hallucinating it or is that really there um i think often it's her hallucinating it but i don't know for certain right like occasionally maybe it is really there yeah it's 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 fantastic (laughs) yeah but yeah, let's. Uh, I'd love to know more about the director of this. I don't know anything about him. Okay. His name is Jean-Marc Vallée, and he's a Canadian film director, producer, and film editor. His most notable works are Crazy, Dallas Buyers Club, Wild, Big Little Lies. Okay, so I've heard of most of those, but I actually haven't seen any of them. So this is my first experience seeing anything he's done, it sounds like. Well, Dallas Buyers Club is, is probably his most popular film. But what's so interesting about about Jean-Marc Vallée is that he he is his own editor and he he edits under a different name he edit, edits under a name called John Mac McMurphy <laughs> so like in order to have autonomous control of his of his films he like directs sometimes he writes and then he edits so he's like fully involved it's interesting cuz it sounds like that sounds to me like almost an auteur like we talk about with different people like Quentin Tarantino and so forth who who control every part of it but he's doing this adaptation, you know. It's almost more than that because, like, Tarantino doesn't edit his own stuff. You don't think so? So few. I don't. I, there's so few people who who edit their own. Absolutely not. Huh? He he doesn't edit. He's probably involved in the edit. He's probably in the edit room every day yeah. in and day out. But he's not. He's not physically editing. He's not listed as the editor on his own film. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's interesting. So, uh, my 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 point I was um, trying to make there is that it's interesting that he's doing an adaptation where the story, you know. And honestly, a pretty faithful one. Um, really, it's, I mean, it, it, they've added some things and they've maybe rearranged some stuff. But for the most part, it feels very faithful so far. We'll see how, you know, how it progresses. I think the first episode isn't missing any scenes. Uh, they may have added a few scenes here and there, but it's like the, the words ripped off the page and put on screen. Like there's nothing missing. Yeah. So uh, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Big Little Lies and how popular that was. So you haven't seen this one either? No, I haven't. It's been okay. recommended to me, and, and it's, it's something I should watch, but I have not seen it. I came into Big Little Lies like fairly late. Um, Caitlin was watching it, and I just happened to like walk in on the first episode, and I was like, "Wow, this is like very slice of life feeling, very like every day." And then mm-hmm. it, it just like the end of the first episode, and then on, it was it was so different and so much fun to watch. 
um, in such an unexpected way. And and then it just killed. It won like every Emmy, and it was like the best limited series to come out that year. Oh, I didn't know it was a limited series. Interesting. So it's over. It's self-contained. It's. Uh, I think it's moving into the second second. So I guess it's not a limited series, but it was a shorter a shorter series. I it's see. Mo- it's going to have a second season. For him, he moved from this from Big Little Lies into this project here, Sharp Objects, and yeah. there's a lot of similarities there. And I mean, the quality is definitely still there. It's it's very much like this is going to be nominated for a lot of things. Um, we can call that right now because it just it feels like it's it's important. It's it's powerful. All the all the portrayals are are really great. And then just like you said before, shot well, edited well, <laughs> everything yeah. looks great. Now there is there there's like a show creator as well, right? We should right. we should mention them. Yeah, her name is Marty Noxon, and she is listed as the creator. And I believe she's the showrunner for the show. And she basically, I think it was her idea and her her basically she put the show together, and then hired John Mark Vallee to direct all of the episodes. Probably after seeing Big Little Lies and seeing that it's it could be somewhat similar. She's known for she's known for things. I think she was a producer on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Oh, cool. She worked on Glee, I think, Mad Men, uh, Grey's Anatomy. She's a she's a producer, so she's worked on tons of stuff, and she's very prolific. So for her to like kind of champion this show and then hire someone as as unique as John Mark Vallee is just incredible. Man, Buffy the Vampire Slayer. That's uh, I mean, you mentioned you mentioned it, so I get a chance to to talk about it. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I grew up with that show. Uh, I've seen every episode. Oh yeah, it holds a really special place in my heart. Uh, how about you? Yeah, of course. I mean, that was my, yeah, growing up on the WB. Yeah, of yeah. course. Okay, um, cool. <laughs> that was such a fun show, too. And, like, that was our first introduction to, like, Joss Whedon and, yeah. obviously, um, Sarah, what's her name? Sarah, Sarah Michelle Geller. Sarah Michelle Geller is, is so great. And I still love her because of Buffy. Anything yeah. she's in, I'll basically see. <laughs> so this show, from what I've been seeing, has been drawing a lot of comparisons to True Detective Season 1. And I think it, I think those observations are apt in a certain way i guess if you go in expecting the same level of almost like existential dread and discussion Mm -hmm. of what it means to be alive like no you don't necessarily get that but so i don't think that's what people mean i think instead they mean it's dark it's gritty it's in the south it's a murder mystery right Mm -hmm. it's every it's a lot of terrible people doing terrible things and doesn't pull any punches like it's very shocking and then I think the other thing is that it's it has a unified creative vision because of, I think, because of the, the director being there for every episode. And that was the same thing in True Detective, where it was Kerry Fukunaga directed every single episode. So I think you kind of get that when you get that really solid creative vision that you don't typically get in shows, uh, you don't always get in shows. It, it, it creates a really interesting a piece of art that uh, I can see why people are making that comparison. I agree. And I mean, this is, it's so much fun to watch a show like this because it really is. Once you have, when you have all those pieces in place, it's just an eight hour movie. It's a director coming in and being able to make this like long form cinematic TV show. And you get such high quality, such high quality shows. I feel like you said that it's not, there isn't quite as much or you said, I don't know which, if you said there wasn't any, but the, like, I feel like there is a little bit of that, like, it's not quite, like, as sprawling as the, like, the, the, the existential dread that you were talking about. Like, I don't feel like it's as, like, 
your life in the universe, like what does life mean, like all of that stuff. But I feel like there is some of that there where it's people dealing with life and death and what it means to still be living with with all the demons. And no, no, no. I and I completely agree with that. I think it is. It's there in a different way. It's there and it's there in the in the in the context or the. It's there in the in the material itself. It makes you think about that, right? Like it mm-hmm. makes you think about the pain everybody walks around with and how nobody ever truly heals, right? And and how damaged people don't always come around like you often see in TV and, and like, you know what I mean? Just the consequences of all this stuff. So you're saying that it's just not spoken about, like the characters are... Sp- you don't have away. a Matthew McConaughey sitting down and right. literally laying out the philosophies, right? And, and which I love those scenes. Those are my absolute yeah. favorite scenes. From I'm not trying to like say that that's bad, but that's, I think a lot of people think of that particular style when they, when they hear true detective. Mm-hmm. And that isn't what makes this like true detective. This is like true detective in like all the other ways. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. I agree um, and also an incredible lead. I think that's, that's something you do think of how great a lead Matthew McConaughey was. Right. And I think Amy Adams is, is right there. Like she's, she's killing it in the show. Definitely. And it's almost like the two-hander of like Matthew McConaughey, Woody Harrelson, and then Amy Adams and Pat- Patricia Clarkson, like the the mother-daughter and then like the yeah. partners. Like they're like, it's oh, yeah. very much there's like been, There's show. a lot of great, yeah, there is there is a lot of great portrayals. The mother, yeah, the the foil that that mother presents. And yeah, it's, it's I mean, it's good. I, I think we, we need to get into the actual episode so I can start talking specifics. Yeah. <laughs> So uh, basically, I'm just going to be reading a quick quick synopsis, and then we're going to dive right into it. So with episode one, Camille Preaker, a St. Louis based report. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I should say that because it is very cool and important to think about. It is cool. Yeah. Well, I mean, the word vanish literally pops out at the end of the episode. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think it's at every single end of every episode. They show the name of the episode, but we can get into that. From what I understand, I think I saw at least two or three. So it might be there in all four. Okay. So episode one, vanish. Camille Preaker, a St. Louis-based reporter, is struggling with alcoholism and other self-destructive behavior. She has numerous flashbacks to her troubled childhood in the small town of Wingap, Missouri, which she explains has a population of 2,000 people divided into trash and old money. She classifies herself as trash from old money. Great great line, by the way. Is that from the book? I, I can't That's remember. That's from the book. Yep. So good. Her editor, Frank Curry, orders her to return to Wingap where a girl, 13-year-old Ann Nash, was murdered the previous summer, and another 14-year-old, Natalie Keene, is now missing. Camille's flashbacks intensify when she returns, and after a couple days, she goes to live with her socialite mother, Adora Krellin, and stepfather. She meets Detective Richard Willis during a search party and soon talks with him at a bar that night, before talking with Bob Nash the next day about the disappearance of his daughter. Natalie is discovered in an alley later on, but upon returning to the house, Camille notices... Emma, her half-sister from Adora's second marriage, acting completely different than she was when she saw her earlier. The two talk about their middle sister, Marion, who had died when Camille was younger, but Emma soon secretly admits to disliking her mother's treatment of her and behaves like a child to hide her rebellious side. During a bath, it is revealed that Camille self-harms and has carved the word vanish into her arm. Yeah, that's where that, that episode ends. So cool. I mean... We've talked about a lot of the the what makes this show great, but specifically, I mean, just to begin, so we get this fl- uh, flashback. We, we don't know if it's a flashback or if it's happening, you know, present. The only the only hint we get is the I think we see like a Reagan or somebody poster like ninety two mm-hmm. yeah, on yeah. a wall. That's our like one clue that this is a flashback, right? Yeah. But what I like about this this scene is that the way it ends with. Um, young Camille coming into the house, sneaking into the room, finding adult Camille in bed and sneaking up and like jabbing her with a pin or, mm-hmm. or a, something. 
And that kind of way of like the the past reaching into the present and causing pain, I think is so like such a perfect way to start this show because that's what it's all about. Right. right. Yeah, I love that scene. And like the idea of the past waking up something in the future. So it's yeah. like, remember these things that you didn't remember, wake up and then remember them basically. Yeah, and then we see the Obama uh, hope poster, famous hope poster, right? To, which tells us when this is, right? Mm-hmm. You know, obviously more modern. Um, I did like that, and I don't know if you noticed this, and I don't know if it's intentional, but the word hope itself is obscured by like books and stuff. So you don't actually see the word hope, you just see his face. Interesting, uh, no, I didn't notice that. Yeah, I don't know if that was on purpose or not, but I just like the idea of the hope, hope being obscured and, and not present because that would fit thematically with this show. How about Sophia Lillis returning to the podcast? She's the oh yeah, she's Beverly from from so, it. Yeah, yeah, and and it's so funny because at at the end of our it coverage and we were talking about it part two and the movie being cast, we 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 suggested many different people. One of the ones we said was Amy Adams. I think I might have said that one. Mm-hmm. Um, that was like my favorite one. And it's just so funny to see that while we don't get Amy Adams as as Beverly, as Beverly, we do get this show, which it's so cool to see that. I mean, I guess they're redheads or whatever, but I just think it's cool that we were that that, that she ended up being connected, you know, uh, in some way on the podcast, in, in, in some way, right? We predicted that at least, <laughs> and she's great. Sophia Lewis continues to be great. She's very compelling. Every every scene she's in, I don't know, she just does a great job of of, of feeling vulnerable but strong, and then also um, someone you immediately like and like want her to like, you you worry for her. Mm-hmm. Oh man, that that just reminds me too of the opening scene of them skating down the road, and how cool that. And, and I mean, that's a repeated image, right? The girls skating down the road, whether it's you know that's something people you know, they're doing today or they're doing in the past. And I just love the kind of metaphor of her of them weaving in and out of the the lines into oncoming traffic and the danger of it, right? Inherent in this rather otherwise kind of placid scene that seems like it's very pleasant, but there's I think there's an inherent danger that we get as someone kind of skating down these like back roads, right? Like you never know what's around the next bend. Right. So I think metaphorically it really, really lands. If I did a good job, I don't know if I explained that well or not. <laughs> I, no, I, I get that. It, I okay. think also um, the tone and like the kind of it, it, the show is meant to feel that way, right? The show is meant to feel like ominous, everything, like yeah. the, the way things are shot, the way things are lit. And like you said, like every little thing, you feel like you're going to turn a corner and see a dead body or you're going to turn the corner and see like somebody kidnapping a child or something like that. Or you're going to see an oncoming car. Yeah. Right. And it's not. Well, that's like that's like the almost like metaphor for like what can happen. Right. It's like you you never know, like anything could come out of anywhere. Well, it's also it's also like a danger of um, innocence, like innocence and danger. Right. Because because the implication is that these girls aren't thinking about what's around the next bend they're mm-hmm. just enjoying themselves whereas we know the danger inherent right and we're we're, we're we, we don't have that same innocence so it's it's the threat to their innocence and, and whenever you have a serial killer killing children i think uh innocence being under attack is a, is a really strong theme for this show yeah so when camille leaves um we immediately know that she's an alcoholic whether we read the book or not because she she packs this insane bag of this duffel bag full of <laughs> alcohol bo- bottles of alcohol and all this stuff and something that i think they mentioned in the book is she starts out with like little tiny bottles those little travel bottles of of whatever kind of alcohol and then she when she's in the store later she ends up getting like a full bottle 
of vodka, which is yeah. like she's like graduated from like the smaller bottles into like drinking heavily from normal size bottles. Yeah, I, I mean, I just want to call out a detail that I loved, and early on, I didn't really know, and I, and, and it's in, this might be a show specific, we don't know yet, but the phone that she uses to play the music is not her phone. Like, we see her talk on her phone later, and it doesn't have that crack on it. Mm-hmm. So this phone with the music on it is, we don't know why she would use a different phone, right? Maybe she just stores yeah. her music on a different phone. I don't know. But then later we find out right. more about what that phone could be. I don't know if it's been confirmed, but I assume it is. I, I mean, it, it belonged is. to that girl right. in the hospital. Or or not her, the maybe the, maybe the nurse. The yeah, nurse, I guess yeah. we're kind of getting ahead, but... So that scene where Camille finally goes and sees her mother and the, like seeing that scene that we read on screen yeah. feels so much less welcoming because it's like it felt like in the book it was like, oh, begrudgingly come in. In this, it's actively like, I don't want you here at all in any way and I wish yeah. that you would go away. And like the the look of disgust on her face, on Adora's face when she shows up and then the the best part was when she was like, Camille's here and then Alan's like, who? from the other room yeah. <laughs> and just like the idea that like there she's such like she they don't even think about her yeah. in the day-to-day and like she's just such a small part of their life well and it's clear that it's because adora thinks she reflects on her right she's so caught up in her own image and how people perceive her and that is you know what i mean she can't bear to have her around because of the way it might reflect back on her because she's so selfish you know ultimately mm-hmm there's a scene at the bar and this is like a recurring thing and i just felt like this was fun to bring up she goes in and she asks for a well at the bar right and then the bartender is like no 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 i'm gonna give you the top shelf stuff and then she he pours her like maker's mark and Mm -hmm. then it's like continually like a product a huge product placement in the show and i just wanted to know how you felt about maker's mark being like a (laughs) being like a prominent top shelf whiskey I wouldn't call Maker's Mark top shelf, um, but I could see it as being kind of like a mid shelf and maybe top shelf in a bar like that. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I don't know. It's interesting. I, I would be curious if they did some sort of product placement with them where maybe they got they got some sort of some money kicked their way in order to show that or something. No, I'm 100% sure because in like episode three or something, she's like, she goes to another bar and she's like, Maker's Mark, please. And you're just like, okay. well, we also see absolute vodka a couple of times. Yeah. I, you know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. That's it. Yeah. I don't know how all that works, but yeah. <laughs> I just felt like it was very obvious, and I was like, wow, this this show is sponsored by Maker's Mark big time. Well, it, it could also be that they... Maker's Mark has a very Southern heritage. I don't know it exactly, but it feels okay. like a very Southern whiskey to me. So it could be they chose it in particular because they felt like it'd be appropriate. Um, and maybe they even maybe they even said like... And they'd rather show something that they thought might elicit a response from the people viewing that mm-hmm. they're, they're going for i don't know like i could see it either way either i could see it as a sponsorship or i could see it truly just they wanted to have that particular whiskey and so they reached out and, and got permission to use it right i just figured i'd bring it up because because you know a lot more about alcohol so i figured <laughs> i'd get my well uh if you if you follow our instagram you'll see that i posted a uh, i was drinking a doll winnie while i was watching it uh last night and my 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 reasoning behind that was that Dalwini to me feels very classic and very uh, almost elegant. And so I said this this feels like a, a bottle of scotch you might find in a cupboard at Adora's house. Um, and I, I, that that was my my pairing, I guess, for this week. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. So there's some some differences. Um, it's going to be interesting going forward where we land on on how the book is pushing us and how the show is pushing us, right? Like certain characters, who we think did it, who we think is involved. And I felt yeah. like already in the first episode with Alan, he's much more suspicious 
and much more like actively it felt like he was just a background character and in this he's like prominent and he's like listening to the music like you said trying to escape something and like that felt very like very much like he's going to be more of an important character well it's interesting because i think over time i felt that way but early on i was more like i felt like he was a stronger character in the show and then i felt like i liked him more like i i um empathized with him a little more in the show not necessarily that i did like him but more than the book where he was like you like we talked about kind of more of just a background character mm-hmm. so yeah like i i like kind of elevating him to prominence here and 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 whether or not what that means for our possible predictions, I don't know, which if you want to go over our different things we outlined, it's at the end of our last episode. But ultimately, we don't really know. We just had some some vague theories we, we were kind of putting out. Camille meets with Bob Nash. What do you think about this scene? How do you feel about him? Get more guilty, less guilty than the book? Do you feel like it's making you think differently? I think it? they're making him out to be to seem more guilty in the show. Oh, that does remind me. I wanted to mention because I, so I listened back to our last episode and there's a part where you quoted Bob Nash, and I th- I think you misquoted him. Okay. Um, and you said that he said that he would rather her be dead than raped and then killed, or rather her be killed than rather than raped and then killed. Right. It's um, just, yeah. But it's but it's not. It's just he would rather her be dead than raped. Right. Period. Which is way and worse. That and that's what he says in the book, and that's what I responded to. But when I listen to the episode, it sounds like I'm defending him saying the other thing. You know what I mean? So I just wanted to right. clear that up. Like, no, I'm not saying that it's better for him to say, you know what I mean? To say that he would, because of course, like, yeah, if you'd, you'd rather someone suffer less if they're going to die anyway. Right. So, yeah, but like I was talking about the idea the other, that he would yeah. rather her be dead than raped, period. Gotcha. So anyway, That's I just bad. wanted to clear that. I just wanted to clear that up, make sure because it sounded like when I listened to it, I was like, "Ooh, it sounds a little bit like I'm defending the wrong thing here." And that's not what I meant. <laughs> um, but yes, uh, fucked up for sure. And I think they make him seem a little more suspicious in the show. But um, I don't know if that what that means. You know, I, I think he's he's kind of a red herring character in my opinion. I don't think it's going to end up being him. I think this this show and this story in general really brings up like the male perspective on certain groups of individuals. So. The way that like the sh- the sh- like men will be like oh it's definitely a man who killed her there's no yep. or and like specifically a gay man like they specifically think it's a gay man it's just especially in the southern town for for them that that the, for them to just target a gay man and specifically not even knowing whether someone's gay or not say it's definitely the keen boy yep. right because he's he acts a little different than everybody else so they're just assuming that he's gay and that he has a motive to do it. I just that that so I wanted to say that women and children are all seen as these groups where the men in the show are, are just like and later we'll get to the the, the pig pulling of the teeth thing the detective yeah. does it as well where he's like yeah only a man could have done it because I did it and it's like it's not necessarily true you know what I mean right. a woman could still do that it takes a lot of strength and you you'd have to be like a more powerful like I don't believe that Adora could do that <laughs> um, I don't think she could yank the teeth out on her own now whether or not if she if she is the killer you know if she could have help or something um, but yeah it's I, I think what yeah I like what you're getting at there with that perspective of underestimating women and 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 viewing them as you know incapable uncapable of certain evils whereas this show and book and Gillian Flynn has talked about this in her writing in general is about women as villains, right? And about, you know, not only as main characters and, but also about the evilness that they are capable of. And I'm using evil in a very general sense, not necessarily a biblical sense. Right. (laughs) Um, But yeah, it's, it's, 
I, I'm with you. It's it's very interesting, and and the interplay of that with what we're seeing from these women characters who seem super guilty, many of them, right? Even Jackie in the show, in my opinion, seems a lot more guilty than really? she did in the book. I love Jackie yeah. in the show. Like, I, I think she's hilarious and great. And so, so the reason I say she seems more guilty is just, I, I felt like early on, she was creepily kind of obsessed with complimenting Camille about her looks. I think that has something to do with some stuff that went down, though. You know Maybe. what I mean? Yeah, yeah, but it just, I don't know, it felt like um, it felt like she has like a weird obsession with how she looks. Uh, that is true, I, yeah. And I wonder if that could, you know what I mean? Because, so there's also a theory that gets put forward in the next, I think it's in the next episode, maybe it's episode three. I don't know, should I jump around at all? It's a theory that gets sure, put out. Yeah, go for it. Okay, so uh, at one point, I think Vickery mentions that, that all the teeth were removed, which we don't even find out until episode two, but all the teeth were removed to... It, almost like she has a doll's mouth that phrase gets said and and i thought okay that's basically a theory then right that someone is creating these girl like turning these girls into dolls in some sense right and if that's the case then who would be doing that we've we've heard about a woman in white and mm-hmm. someone who's obsessed with looks and and how pretty people are i don't know jackie just I, she could be she could be a, a potential suspect i'm yeah. telling you so I have a couple of things I wanted to say off of that. But first, I feel like I should say, let's just finish this episode out real quick. Yeah. Basically, Camille uh, is driving around and she goes to like the town square and then a woman screams and they all run over and they find the dead body of Natalie, which is in, so gruesome and well executed yeah. in the show to where it looks so gruesome. And, and like, yeah, it was it was rough. And then they keep flashing the to it later and stuff. Yeah. This show, I mean, we, we we gave kind of a trigger warning at the beginning of our first episode for this whole group, but... Yeah, if you if you're someone who can be triggered by self harm or by you know <laughs> gr- gruesome murder, <laughs> whatever, um, this show has got plenty of triggers in it that uh, people should definitely be aware of before they attempt to watch it. I guess. Yeah. Uh, so you mentioned the doll thing. There's another mention of doll. Somebody mentions how Natalie was placed like a doll in the middle of town, like yeah. where she was placed in the windowsill. And then this, then I it got me thinking about all this doll stuff. There's the dollhouse. Yep, There's the in the house, in yeah. the movie poster or, or sorry in the show poster. If you look at them, they all have like cracked faces, like they have like a oh, cracked yeah. like a doll's face. And like, then we yeah, have porcelain or something. Yeah. Yeah, and then we have like the idea that somebody, like you said, could be creating some sort of dolls, or they're taking the teeth as trophies, and uh, like that. That got me thinking about the whole doll motif or the kind of yeah. thing that we have going on in the show. And I was like, wow, are that's we gonna incredible. see? Are we gonna see? Is this leading to a scene where we see somebody? walking in a house and there's fucking dolls everywhere and they have human teeth like i mean probably into their right I, I wouldn't be surprised yeah, are we gonna get that <laughs> i think so something like that that would be that would be pretty creepy <laughs> and then at the end of the episode camille kind of realizes that ama is is the girl that she's been seeing around town and everything yeah. and and ama early on is not as not nearly as um suspicious or villainous as she mm-hmm. she um, is in the book, but I think over time the show is like slower about revealing oh, a yeah. little bit of that. Well, I was like, wow, I was like, I'm really enjoying their relationship in episode two and all of this stuff, and then yeah, that's it's like they a... are they kind of are bonding more, right? Like they're having more moments where you can tell that Camille is kind of like treating her like a sister and thinking of the girl from the um the hospital she was in and like making comparisons and right. I think and that's I love still that ongoing, stuff. but yeah. um in the in the in the book it felt a lot more like they were at odds with each other from the jump and were just kind of 
hostile. We we didn't have these scenes where um, Amma keeps coming into her room and talking to her. I feel like maybe we had like one, but not a lot of scenes like that. Whereas we're getting a lot of that in the in the, in the show. A lot of times when something is adapted, you can kind of feel them filling for time. You can kind of feel sometimes the filmmaker is like, okay, we need to fill out eight hours worth of TV, so we're going to pad out some episodes. But I don't feel any well, of that especially, in the show. Especially in shows that are like 20 episodes or oh, something yeah. crazy and bloated. Absolutely. Yeah. But like even in this case, they are padding out the show, but in such interesting ways. And make, they're making yeah. Ama more complex and more it's, interesting. It, I, I don't even want to call it padding. It's, it's they're using the time they have to add texture. Absolutely. Add characterization, add substance to the world and to the to the story itself. And, and I think they've, to me so far, they've been using their extra time very well. Definitely. Um, and then we get the glowing vanish at the end of the episode. Yeah, which again, that's like the, the there's a whole dreamy thing and, and the the idea of um, the blur between reality and and whether it's uh, a dream or whether it's um, a delusion or what. Uh, and that really comes home there at the end. And then it's also kind of blends over into the meta of us watching a show, right? So it's cool. It's just really well done. So I'm going to jump into episode two here. Episode two is called Dirt. Richard wonders about the killer's modus operandi and why Anne was found in the woods on the spot where she was killed, yet Natalie was discovered propped up on a ledge in an alley posed like a doll in the middle of town. The coroner tells Richard that Natalie's teeth were yanked out with pliers. Camille sees Richard taking soil samples from Bob Nash's tires. The overprotective Adora, who has kept Marianne's room like a shrine, continues to criticize and belittle Camille, whom she accuses of embarrassing the family through her investigation. Camille thinks Natalie's older brother, high school senior John, doesn't quite fit in Wingap, and is told by neighborhood kids that the woman in white took Natalie. Police Chief Bill Vickery implies that the boy who saw this is trash and can't be trusted. Camille says they used to scare each other with stories about the woman in white abducting children by the... But the police chief and Richard insist that Natalie and Anne were murdered by a man. Adora accuses Camille of being drunk at Natalie's funeral, which she denies, and criticizes Natalie's mother's eulogy. Adora also says that Natalie reminded her of Camille when she was young by being a tomboy and running around in the woods and that she tried to help Natalie. So this episode actually ends with Camille actually sending out the article where she was like deciding whether or not she should send it out with the line that says that she had gone into the room. Um, oh, and um, she decides like even though the her boss says like no, we don't have, like like morally we we can't sit, we can't do it and she mm-hmm. she sends it anyway. Okay, so her kind of going against the ethical yeah, and kind of lying about getting permission. Yeah, so we get we get a lot in this episode. the The funeral is is just like it is in the book, but something else is she she like leaves early because her like dress is ripped by her mom. Yeah, which I thought was really interesting because I thought that when she ripped it, maybe she was leaving because it exposed some of her scars. Yeah, could be. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. It's interesting that he's she's wearing her mother's dress here too. I mean, I guess practically it makes sense because she wouldn't have brought a dress like that, but. It, uh, I don't know, like, there's some sort of, I feel like there's some symbolism there, right? Like, her, the fact that she can't escape her mother, you know? Maybe a little bit of, like, a doll thing, right? Like, dressing up like a doll and kind of what she does to Amma. Well, we get a lot of, yeah, the way, the way Adora treats Amma is very doll-like, right? Like, the Mm -hmm. combing of the hair and, and making sure she's dressed just so, and, yeah, there's, um... There's a lot of control there, and, and, you know, obviously serial killers have a lot to do with control and a need for control, so, yeah, I don't know. I think there's connections to be made there that uh, we. I need more information, but I'm yeah. starting to make them. <laughs> Let's talk about the uh, the pig's head. 
Yeah, so I I I I like I understand why they included this scene. I think it's a dramatic scene. It's striking. Uh, I do think it shows it demonstrates that Richard is willing to go the extra mile for the for the case. Um, but ultimately, it felt just a hair silly to me. It felt like, do you really need to get a pig's head and bring it back to your hotel and do this just to understand that it's going to be hard to yank a tooth out? Why didn't he just do it like at the butcher or whatever? Like he should. There's a done. lot of questions yeah. there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like I think it's cinematic, and I think it it plays pretty well, so I'm okay with it. But yeah, ultimately, I it, realistically. You could just ask a dentist. You could, you know what I mean? Like, there's ways to understand how difficult it is to pull out a teeth, a tooth, which we get in the book. You just talk about it. We don't get this scene in the book. <laughs> yeah. Camille goes to the wake for Natalie, and uh, she sees some friends from high school that were like cheerleading friends with her, which we kind of learn becomes important the cheerleading thing. And then she, Camille ends up going into Natalie's room at this point, right? I think everybody's left or something like that. Yeah. She, she's visiting at some point and she goes in and, and finds all the spiders and everything. No, I think, I think it's during the wake. She like kind of just walks over into the room. Yeah. Yeah. I think there's still, people are still there. They're just not in the room. Right. So what do you think about the spiders and, and everything? Yeah. So there, it almost seems like there's something there with the spiders, right? Like some sort of symbolism they're trying to, trying to, to add. It definitely adds, um, character to this girl that we've never actually met right like we feel like we kind of understand her so mm -hmm. the very simplest level it's working in that sense she's someone who isn't afraid of spiders and in fact keeps them as pets uh we lit you know in a different episode we hear about her stabbing another girl um with a pencil we know a lot about this girl without actually having met her and i find something else interesting is the way that everybody's talking about natalie is different from the way that we kind of see we don't they don't they're talking about her being like gentle and sweet and all of this stuff but at the same time, she was this tomboy that like had spiders and liked to be outdoors and all of that stuff. And they're they're kind of and she has like a jacket that says like whatever on it, like hanging up. And like yeah. it's it's almost like this. It's either she had put on this persona kind of similar to what Ama does for her parents or they're all trying to like retroactively be like this is the kind of girl she was. Yeah, I think. For me, it's more the latter. I think it's yeah, it's it's people's perceptions and what people, how people want to remember her, is at is at odds sometimes with maybe who she really was. And yeah, it's inter It would be interesting to like see which characters are giving us a genuine account of her versus kind of misrepresenting who she was. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think that all holds true with you know when someone dies and how people choose to remember them and you know, they, they, they gravitate towards the memories that they like and maybe forget about things that they didn't agree with and so on and so forth. So I think it's all, it's all very interesting. Camille ends up meeting this kid that tells her about Natalie being taken by the woman in white and then where he, where she can yeah. find this other kid. And she even has a flash of seeing a woman in white. Right. So what did you think? Was this just like, is this a memory? I should have gone back and paused it and seen if I could identify who the actress is. Right. She's hallucinating. Yeah, I wasn't sure. Because there are times where she hallucinates her sister, Marion. Mm -hmm. um, oh, which I wanted to mention. I think the first in the first episode, she walks to like um, her mother takes her over to the room for she's going to stay for the night. And the mother walks out. When the mother walks out, we see Marion. I think it's Marion. And I wasn't sure at first, but later I, I came to feel it more like it was Marion. But it was either Marion or Ama was like sitting on this bench and her mother walks right by her without looking at her. And Camille isn't in this scene, 
So it's really interesting. It's like it, you could almost argue that the implication is that this is a ghost. Right. Right. But it's um, like, who are we as the viewer? Like, who, what perspective is the filmmaker trying to well, give Well, and that's why all these lines are blurred, right? And what is a ghost if not a being haunted by the memory of your past or being the haunted by um, the memory that is inherent in a place? So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think I love the idea that it's going to blur those lines and maybe leave it up to the... Because, like, I, if you're someone who strongly believes in ghosts, then you maybe you see this and go, oh, yeah, you know, this is the ghost of Marion. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think this show would tell you that you're wrong. Um, it's just going to be up to how you want to interpret these these hallucinations. Yeah. She goes to the house of this little boy that, that the other little boy told her about. And this kid's like, torn, he's like like hanging out in the window and he's got a gun. And then we meet uh, the mother who has cancer, I believe. And just like... Oh man, I love the way she she kind of just like appears into the screen, like, because she's like slowly so, coming towards and she's dragging that right that thing and you can... And then later Vickery mentions that th- that's who he thinks the woman in white is to the boy and you can totally see it. Like I, 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 I buy that that would be... That, that that's a plausible explanation. Yeah, she that's a really interesting, really interesting scene. I felt like this kid, this is another situation like Vickery is basically saying like you can't trust this kid, his mom's a meth head. Uh, yeah, and he, you know, he was born into that, and he's like, you can't trust him. He's always lying about stuff, and it's just like discounting other people. Like, it, it, supposedly, this is an eyewitness, so you have to treat it that way. I feel like, right, or else you, you know, you're, or else you're going to be like Vickery, where Vickery is convinced that it's some trucker from out of town, and yeah. he refuses to believe that anybody in town could be capable of it. Um, and it's not t- until I think like the end of this episode that we start to really see him even challenge that idea. Yeah. Um, Vickery is a kind of, feels a little bit different in the in the show. He feels a little bit more stubborn, a little bit less like he really just wants to get to the bottom of this, and more like he it's like yeah, like he said like invested in the idea that it's not a, someone from the town. So the last thing in this in this episode that I wanted to talk about was Ama. Um, at the very end, she's like like kind of getting her hair brushed by Adora, and then Camille like goes upstairs, and then I think he's screaming or something, and runs downstairs, and then Amma's having like this seizure or something, or like freaking out. Yeah, I don't think she was having a seizure. I think she was. This is the scene from the book where she's freaking out about something being wrong, but it wasn't as clear in the show what the fit was over. Well, in the um, show, she kind of said like it was like she the, her friends are like or the people that she knew were dead or whatever. Like, like she's upset yeah, it almost just seemed little, like little... an outburst of like, I'm so upset, I'm just going to like scream and fall into your arms kind of thing. I felt like they were like holding her down. Like it looked like they were like holding her down and stuff and like she was like thrashing about, which I was like, they must, I, I thought they were like drugging her or something. Yeah, and I, I seem to remember her saying something about her dollhouse. So like something not being right, which is what it was in the book. Yeah. So it felt like it was supposed to be the same fit, but this is one time where I'll be a little bit critical and just that I didn't think it was clear. Yeah. why she was having the fit when I think it could have been more clear. It was something that I was like, wow, this really stood out to as like some, a moment where I felt like they were like contr- trying to hold it because it was like she was so calm and then next scene, she's like like completely losing it. Yeah. Um, well, and uh, so so that does add just, I, I so the, I feel a lot of empathy for Ama in the show that I didn't feel in the book um, and that's because I think just seeing what her home life has to be like day in and day out with Adora there, right? Mm-hmm. And also, you just think about how Camille grew up with the same thing, but like, yeah, the idea that she has to be a completely different version of herself when she's at home. And then she, of course, she just like, everything is taken to 11 when she leaves the house and it's all acting out and and trying to rebel. 
and how fu- how much that must have like screwed with her head growing up and and all of these characters heads right and and then also adora like i feel kind of bad for her because losing the daughter and and how she does genuinely seem to care about things and maybe too much whereas i don't know i guess in the book i felt more like it was all just pure selfishness but show version of adora i think does seem to care or at least she's doing a better job of convincing me that she does i don't know (laughs) yeah I think so too. Like she, yeah, she is, she, cause you, I feel like you feel the impact more of Miriam being gone because she's yeah. like in her bed and the shrine that she has to her. And you can see like what you can connect the dots of like, she lost Miriam and like whether or not there was something, she was involved in that. Cause we have like some theories about that. Yeah. Um, yeah. The, the show has not made me feel that way as much as the book did. So that, that, that theory of mine might be completely wrong, but mm-hmm. who knows? Yeah, it's just like you can connect the dots to see where she would treat Aunt Ama like she does because of the fact that she lost Miriam. The only other thing in this, sorry, one more thing. Camille buys a needle, a sewing needle kit in this episode, and she's struggling with cutting herself uh, yeah. throughout the episode. And like at one point almost puts the needle underneath her fingernail. Do you think that, I don't think she actually yeah. does or not. I, I don't know. I think she, she kind of shoved it in there. Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that was, that was uh, squir- it made me squirm a little bit. Yeah, and then the, she was like cutting words into her pants instead of into yes. her skin which i feel like is important yeah. it's just she's progressing further and further towards cut, like we talked about in the book episode potentially returning to like relapsing into cutting herself yeah it's it's and um I, I guess i'll talk about it here but i think it comes up more in the next episode but or at least that's when i really caught on to it the show has a brilliant way of of, of setting up memory like she'll remember something troubling and then and and then um, she'll kind of cut herself off from fully remembering it and she'll fixate on something that she could use to cut herself or she'll fixate on the the toilet from the the hospital where she got the screw and cut herself so badly, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then it'll cut to her reaching for the bottle, the bottle that has the vodka in it and taking a long swig. And this this pattern repeats itself several times. Mm-hmm. And so it really shows how this is all caught up in like this memory causes pain. That pain makes her fe- like feel like she should cut. And then instead of cutting her next coping mechanism, coping mechanism that she has changed to is the, you know, is drink, right? Is the right. bottle. So, so it, it all shows how this is all caught up in her pain and her memory from this place. So I just think it's really well done. And the way that's all put together on screen and, and not told to us, just shown repeatedly mm-hmm. where we can pick up on it. It's really cool. Yeah, I agree. It's incredible. And uh, yeah, it, you notice those those times and, and as it goes on, they become more important, right? So like, right. like I can remember early on, there was a shot of like a toilet and I didn't understand why there was a yeah. shot of a toilet. And it was just like I was saying before in the earlier in the episode where there's like these shots that like are of mundane items and then they eventually come back around and we, how could we have possibly known that the back of the yeah. toilet seat was going to be used for what it is in this episode? Well, and we know a little bit cause we've read, but like people who haven't, who haven't and are just coming into the show cold, there's a lot of details you'll miss. Like we, I think it might've been episode one or maybe two. Um, my wife pointed out that when she comes down to breakfast, she picks up a knife and starts to cut an apple and then Adora comes over quickly and cu- takes the knife away from her and has um, the help. I, I forget that character's name has her cut it instead. And the implication being that she doesn't trust her to be holding a knife. Right. right. But it happens kind of in like beside the point of the scene itself is kind of going on and they're talking about something else. 
So I think you're very forgiven if you don't even notice it really happen. Um, other than her getting a takeaway, and then like uh, Camille has kind of this look of exasperation, like you can trust me with a knife. But then we also see all the time her gaze lingering on sharp objects, right? Like she'll look at a knife, she'll look at a pen, she'll look at a whatever, you know, a screw, and, and you can see her kind of lingering and staring at it. And I think that is reminiscent of the book where she talks about these objects kind of calling to her. And it's just cool to see that transcribed into the visual medium and, and done so well. Completely agree. So we're going to move into episode three now. Yeah, let's do it. Episode three is called Fix. A party results in Vickery catching a drunk Ama who soon crashes a golf court into her mother's rose bushes, resulting in her bonding with Camille. Camille flashes back to her recent stay in a psychiatric facility where she shared a room with Alice. They become close friends listening to Alice's music, but Alice commits suicide in their room by drinking drain cleaner, and a devastated Camille repeatedly slashes her own wrists. In the present, Camille interviews Bob Nash, who thinks John Keane was involved. Vickers calls Adora, who arrives and rebukes Camille while comforting Bob. Later, John Keane accuses Bob Nash of being involved. John's girlfriend, Ashley Wheeler, is one of the few people friendly to Camille. After a conversation between Adora and Vickery, Adora warns Ama about Camille and that she is dangerous. Richard is frustrated by lack of cooperation from the public in Wingap and Vickery, belittling his belief that the murderer is from Wingap and knew the two girls. He tells Camille to stay out of his way. It is revealed that Adora also knew Anne because she t- tutored her and that Anne was incredibly fond of her. This is the um, this is the episode that ends with, with Camille racing down the highway, right? Yes. In the car? Yes. Okay. This is my favorite episode of the se- of the series so far. Me too, yeah. This episode really is it really? Yeah. Cuz yeah. I, I yeah, I don't know. I just it was just like, incredible. It was just basically for me it was the 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 flashback that tie it started to tie threads, right? It was started to yeah. realize why we kept getting random shots of Drano throughout like yeah. the throughout the show, like not even in episode 3. Like I there was an episode of Drano in like one or two at sure. some point. Yeah. Well, and we've she's she's hallucinated Alice before this this like she's been one of the hallucinations like standing in the train or mm-hmm. I think one point she's like wearing the dress that's actually just hanging on the door which is such a cool like real thing where like you ever like there's like a piece of clothing in a place you're not expecting it and you think a person's standing there mm-hmm. like I love the way it evokes that that like very uh, this this thing that everybody I, I I suppose has probably felt um okay yeah that's so cool and then yeah so so this this episode the flashback um, is so brilliant, and I wonder if we're going to get this in the book because we haven't gotten it yet. That's what I was wondering but, too. Is like because this is this if this was a show only thing, I feel like this was like this this makes the show better than than yeah. the book so far. Yeah, we'll see. Well, maybe it's just maybe that's something we'll get in a future chapter. But the the relationship between her and Alice is so powerful, um, and it's clear that to Camille she was starting to view Alice as almost a surrogate sister, right? The sister that she lost. And she clearly, clearly these are all tied up with each other. It's Marion, it's Alice, and then now Ama. Like all of these these girls all sort of represent the same thing for her. Yeah, she was bonding with this girl. She saw a lot of herself in her. And the fact that the girl killed herself, um, I think it's like it was it's the the trauma of that moment and how damaging it was to her and how she had just started to hope again. And yeah, it's it was powerful stuff. Yeah. And the the music, this is when everything yeah. ties in with the music, which I felt like was was such a strong staple of, of Camille's character up to this point. 
And then we we find out that it basically is Alice's influence on her that that because like I said before, music is an escape. Music is a way to cope with things going on. And um, it's, you know, a safer way than alcohol or cutting. And the, I mean, this is her way of holding on to Alice, right? Mm-hmm. Listening to her music. But I was just thinking about how, from a storytelling point of view, how cool and um, effective it is to have a detail like that that has been around for so long now in the show. We're in the third episode, right? And then all of a sudden, the reveal takes something that we, we thought was one thing and like adds this layer to it or adds this reveal to something that we've grown accustomed to already and just how well that lands and and how just like i was thinking of like a storytelling perspective how to how you know a storyteller could use that in different ways and how it's just cool it's just something to think about and and how you can have something that is there in plain sight but maybe people don't know how important it is until a certain point where the reveal comes out i feel like vickery is somehow kind of implicating himself right i feel like he is involved because of how we see him interact with Adora later in the episode. We see him like, basically he's told, he's told Adora that Camille is over at the Keen, the Keen, no, the Nash house. And then Adora goes and shows up because of that. And then they meet later and they have this weird relationship where like the husband leaves the room and he seems like a little jealous or something. And then they talk and kind of have like a almost flirtatious wasn't that, are you sure that's not in episode four? I think three ends with the confrontation where Ama comes and and her friends and they meet uh, Camille and Richard who are, who are bonding and, and talking. And, you know, it becomes clear that Camille has lied about not wanting to go out. Right. And Ama comes up and is, and is angry with her, but then also like doing the whole mean girl routine, right. With her yeah. friends. I feel like we actually start to see her. I think that's like what has been sleeping underneath all along. Like she's almost manipulating Camille into like being nice to her. And then this is kind of also how she actually feels. Yeah. And, and so I just wanted to mention how, uh, you know, female sexuality is like very important to this show. And I think Ama, it was really fascinating how, to, in my opinion, she's using her sexuality to like menace them. <laughs> it's like she's bullying them with her own sexuality. It's so weird, like especially, you know, Richard. Um, and it's like she knows that she is a minor, right? And that she shouldn't be attractive to an adult. But she's like using that against him. And the way she dresses, right? And like everything like that. It's in it's it's in you know, in her hands, she's she's wielding it like a weapon. Yeah. Um and it, God, it's so it's, it makes her it makes her reprehensible, right? But it also um gives her this this unique power because she's willing to do it. And she's willing to to use it in that way. Um, but it's also you could argue like in you know in this place maybe that's the one weapon she has. I don't know. Yeah, I just I don't think I'd ever, I ever I hadn't seen that especially from a young character, and that's what made that scene so incredible to me. Like it, she was like genuinely like frightening almost in like a weird like a weird uncomfortable way. Yeah, and I mean because she's making these sexual jokes and everything, right? You know, like right. It's very uncomfortable, and I, I th- <laughs> like you said, she is she is weaponizing that, and I think it's it's also. It kind of comes back around because we we know that Camille has like this this I don't know if I want to say violent but like a, almost like a violent sexuality because of like the things that shaped her early on. Um, yeah, it's caught up in violence at least. We we see that. Right? And I, we find out like the place that 
the the butcher place with the with the nude pictures on the walls and everything is the like shack. The, the shack the is like a, shack. We've yeah. come to find out that that's a place that like Ama ends up hanging out. Uh, yeah, so, yeah, yeah. Next episode. So so I think that like maybe there's some of that like darkness tied up in her sexuality as well because of that sure. kind of thing. I don't know. It's that... crazy that that she goes back and and like it's almost identical to how she. Uh, this is the next episode. We're getting ahead of ourselves, but Camille when she goes back to that hunting shack and it looks identical to how she like saw it when she was a kid. Yeah, I don't know. It's really interesting to me. That is, I mean, I do. I guess I just believe it, but. I mean, it's not air conditioned. It's out there in the elements. It's just like magazine cutouts on the wall. Um, <laughs> you'd think they would have like molded by now. <laughs> it's like 20 years later, whatever it's supposed to be. Yeah. So what do you think about the way that like Ashley, who is the girlfriend of John Keane, the way that she like controls the situation and like tries to speak for him a lot of the time. And um, I also wanted to mention that I really like how Camille is like bonding with a lot of like the broken people in the in town, quote unquote broken. Yeah she she sees these people who hate the town and she like is more drawn to them and you can tell that they're bonding and ashley was also willing willing to lie about like the alibi for the for the yeah. the article so that's another thing yeah she like tries to and then and then um is that john is that that character yes name? john, john keen yeah john keen just like he's like no don't do that um but yeah god the fact that she's wearing her her um cheerleader outfit when she opens the door and camille says like oh i thought the i thought the season was over or something like that and she goes yeah sometimes i just get to feel inspirited and i don't know there's just there's something really interesting there like she desperately is trying to hold on to john like maybe she doesn't want him to leave or she doesn't want him to it almost is like she suspects him too but she doesn't care and she just wants to she just doesn't want it to be true um, and then we we see we see that kind of come to the head in the next episode too. Um, yeah, I don't know. Really, really interesting. I don't know where that character's going. At first, I she just seemed really fake to me, but then I started to feel kind of um, sad for her because it felt like she's just desperately trying to hold on to John. Yeah, and she, it also feels like she's like drank the Kool Aid of the city, right? Like she's yeah. like very much like it's about like the image and my boyfriend's not going to be seen as a, a child murderer or whatever she says. So moving in, into episode four, ripe. Camille agrees to show Richard some of Wingap's crime scenes, though the tour opens up old wounds. Alan confronts Adora about her sharing confidences with Chief Vickery. I mean, that's a very simple uh, summary of it, but that's that is what happens. I mean, yeah, we, we this is a scene that I was worried we were just going to skip over from the book, but it's just kind of like I said, there's been some rearranging. Um, we get it here. We get. This is a really interesting episode. This is probably my second favorite. I don't know if I had to judge. Um, this definitely ends on a cliffhanger, which we have to talk about. It progresses the story a little bit farther than what we got in the book, which I thought was kind of cool because it was like mm -hmm. we had caught up to where we were in the book and then we get a little bit more. So, yeah, I mean, let's just talk about that because you're, you're there right now. Basically, nearing the end, she realizes that Natalie, Alma and Anne had all been friends and they yes. all they would all hang out and they would hang out in that shack. John John tells and her in the, in the, in the, in the bar. Camille puts that together and realizes that she potentially is the next target because they were both targeted and they, they all hung out at this shack and they were potentially waiting until only one of them showed up. So she kind of freaks out and goes to try to find Ama and goes to the house. She's not there. The editing here is is it's super misleading. Yeah. But it's like there's a lot of like cutting of like her dead body and like her skating and all and like that scene, that that last part absolutely is probably one of the best scenes in the show so far. Because, and it leaves us on this crazy cliffhanger. It's confusing, but also, yeah, like, uh, leaves you just have, you have to know what's real and what's not because you don't, I don't even know for sure that she found her 
dead body. No, I don't. I don't think she did. And because it seems like it could just be her worrying that that's what's going to happen. Right. But with the way this show is, and the and the the way it's established these blurry lines, it also could be true. Right. Like if next episode, Ama Ama is has been killed, and we're like it's her standing over the body, like. I feel like they've done enough to make me believe that that is what happened. But I also, my, 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 the way I'm leaning is more that that was just her being a worried that that's what was going to happen. Yeah. And I don't think she's found Ama yet. I don't think that the, uh, I think Ama might be in danger and I think she's put those things together, but I think the sequence was meant to one, leave us on a cliffhanger, but two, show us that like, Camille's starting to put things together. Like she's starting to realize that like Alma is going to be in danger. I I have no doubt about yeah. that. And 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 I think even though I can't believe we had to stop on this episode. Yeah, even though she as much as animosity is is growing between her and Alma, I this ties back to the Alice and the Marion thing, right? Where ultimately she is still she does still care about her and she does still worry that she's been killed, right? And I don't know, it's it's really cool how how conflicted she can feel about her, and yet you can see that she's so worried that she's lost another, you know, someone who's close to her. Um, yeah. Because it really, it really, it really, you can see it on her face, right? Like, she's so worried about it. Um, but I have to mention, too, so this is, we're hit with two cliffhangers, right? But bam. Um, the other one is Alan. We see him, like, psyching himself up which by the way i was like getting ready to give him props because i was so happy that we were finally seeing him stick up for himself against adora and Mm -hmm. and 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 speak up and not just be constantly told what to do and be so frustrating right like spineless we see a little bit of that out of him which i thought was cool i was like oh go go alan um but then yeah we see him kind of getting drunk and 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 getting worked up and then he there's a gun sitting out on a table and now, I don't th- know that we ever see him holding the gun, but then when he's looming in the um, door frame, right, and he's coming to Adora's bedroom, and then he comes closer to her on be- in the bed, right, like, I, I, um, we don't know. It's like, does he have the gun? Is he there to kill her or kill himself or who knows what? Yeah, and it's all tied up in that thing that I was talking about before where it's like Adora and Vickery were meeting and there's something going on and he just, he, they, she doesn't, she doesn't, even see see alan as like a person really she just sees him as like this annoyance or something yeah man and and that really brings i mean that's i I, in the book episodes i talked about alan seemed like he could be a suspect for something um yeah i I didn't see this coming but it also like it could be nothing like that could just be a decorative like a gun that's just like not decorative but i don't know maybe he just had it out why would he have it out though i guess that's an open question right yeah I got like a rape vibe though too. Like he was oh, coming yeah. into like yes. yeah, like he was like looming over her and like coming down onto the bed. Well, with we've gotten the implication. I think there was um, there's a couple times now where he's asked her like, you know, is there anything else you need? And to me, the, the, there's like a like a subtle but but strong implication that he's asking her if he can be physical with her, right, and have sex with her or whatever, some sort yeah. of intimacy. And she is clearly very withholding of that and very like, oh, I don't know why you would, you know, I don't know why. Clearly they sleep in separate rooms, right? And she doesn't need him around. And I think it's frustrating for him. And then he sees her talking with Vickery and gets jealous, you know, whether or not for good reason, I don't know. Probably not. But he, it, it seems like he thinks she's being more intimate with Vickery than she is with him. Yeah. And so this is a manifestation of that. It kind of comes to a head, and 
where it leads, I don't know. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see. So moving to some a different scene that happened much earlier. Yeah. What do you think is going on with his blood underneath uh, John Keane's bed that the girlfriend cleans up? And... I wasn't sure what it was. Was it, is it just blood, or was it some? Was there something I, else to it? I'm not sure. Yeah. I, I thought it was blood, but I don't know. It could be something else too. Yeah, I don't know. It's um definitely ominous, and it makes us have suspicions for about him. Um, yeah, and it's interesting the fact that she cleans it up and then. Uh, like she's so willing to hide stuff for him, right? Yeah. I mean, she was surprised too, so I don't think that yeah. that was her doing. So she was surprised and cleaned it immediately. Yeah. Um, so there's something going on there. We also get this this budding relationship between Richard and and Camille, right? And the mm-hmm. revela- you know, the revelation of some of these scenes, we get we get some of these like crazy things that have happened in her past that she she reveals to him, and then yeah, going to the shed and. And the way the, that continues to be this nexus of like her, I don't know, damaged sexuality and how it's caught up in this shed, right? And then it comes, <laughs> it comes to head in her uh, bizarre <laughs> um, interaction with Richard, where she, you know, no, we can't kiss, but you know, shove your hand in my pants, um, <laughs> which uh, and then they kiss later, and then they kiss later, right? Like, and she says, yeah. you know, you like me because I'm unconventional and. Um, well, I think it has yeah. something to do with like that, the like, like we talked about before, like the violence or like the the attachment to all the other things that are, go along with her sexuality, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's clearly caught up in that in that shed, which like I'm like scared and fascinated to find out because we don't know what happened in that shed, not really, right? Other than we've just seen her look at it, but I feel like there's a strong implication that something happened there. Yeah, I mean, we've also seen Camille in her her cheerleading uniform, and like when she was like when she actually we haven't seen like the full scene or anything, but we saw like her you know poking at a spider or whatever, yeah. like getting getting it to like run away when she was seemingly, from what I can infer, potentially about to get raped or something. Yeah, and it's weird because when she defends it to Richard again, once again, just happens in the book too. She she talks about it being consensual. Yeah. Um, but the flashback. That didn't look like a girl to me who was getting ready to have sex. That looked like someone who was just out in the woods. I don't know, though. Like, we haven't got the full scene, so it's hard to know. Um, but, yeah, so I, I got very rapey vibes from it, too, for sure. Yeah, and he talks about, Richard says something about how it's it's not consensual because she's not old enough to make that decision and right. all of those things. Um which is true. Because yeah, but, I mean, like, and how old how like, old are the guys? I mean, I'm not trying to defend it, but, like, it's not like the guys are adults. They are also in high school, right? right? But it's just like multiple people, right? Oh, supposedly. yeah, yeah. No, yeah. And, and and the implication was that she that she's drunk, obviously, and they're taking yeah. advantage of her. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I, strong implication that it's rape. Um, but and we talked about this in our last episode that it feels very much like her trying to come to grips with something that happened to her. And like kind of like if she can convince herself that it was consensual, that it makes it easier for her to live with it i guess like right like it's it's easier to think that you weren't a victim it can be and and maybe that gives you a semblance of control over it we get a scene that is not in the book and um which by the way we even talked about uh curry on the phone and he seems to be getting a chemo treatment and man i just like i already like curry a lot Uh, i wasn't sure if it was chemo or like dialysis or something oh yeah i thought it was chemo but maybe that's just my own histories um i don't know but yeah i just really like curry in the show like i like him in the book too but i and he's she's he's like a father figure for her yeah where she didn't have one and you can tell he genuinely cares about her too and he genuinely thinks that it's good to make like he 
Whereas in the book, I felt like it was a little bit irresponsible, right? How much he was pushing her to go back to win Gap. But in the show, I think he truly believes that he that she has to go and face these demons to get past them. And I and I love like I mean in and another thematic thing that gets said um, in the in the show, Camille says, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger or whatever. And then she's like, if it doesn't kill you. And is the implication, and that's what this show is all about, right? Like, like memory, maybe the memories, maybe they shouldn't be faced because they're dangerous. I don't know. God, this show, like, I love that. It's like a subtle play on, like, how many other shows have dealt with memory. But this this show, like, the memory and the history in this place just feels so much more dangerous and so much more um, powerful than it has in a lot of other stuff I've seen. I'm just taken with it. I really, I'm really enjoying it. Me too. I can't wait to see more. I guess the last little bit that I want to talk about is kind of just like where we land on some of these characters, um, because yeah. I do think that that like it'll be interesting going forward how the show ends up and how the book ends up if they end up similar and how some of these things are changing our perceptions of characters. So like Ama, for instance, how did you feel about Ama in the show, even knowing we got some of her darker side in the later episodes? It's been a journey for her, for me, with me. Um, it's it's it, it, starting with me being more empathetic towards her, towards like, especially, you know, when her shoving the stuff in, in, in Camille's hair, starting to come around and be like, oh yeah, she is terrible. She's just this awful person. The thing with the pigs is again, weird. Um, and seems like very psychopathic to me, but right. I keep coming back to feeling sorry for her because of her home life, and ultimately, and then also like the the budding weird relationship she has with Camille, and then the danger she's all of a sudden put in. I don't know. Like I, I feel like almost like I'm being manipulated by the show, and I don't know where. I'm, you know what I mean? Like it's. I think so too. Yeah. Is I I feel like she. I feel like the show wants me to feel this way, but I feel like she is weird and she has she has some stuff going on but i don't think she has any involvement in what has happened and i think that she's actually like to be somebody who's supposed to be seen to be protected even though we see that she has some of those demons but i could easily see the show taking a turn and being like no no she yeah. was definitely involved well and it could be a misdirection right like if we if we're worried about her being a victim then we're not thinking about her being behind it being responsible right and was, oh so there's also another character just speaking of potential other suspects the teacher that we see ama flirt with in this episode who i don't believe we've gotten in the book at all and he's 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 kind of creepy and like it seems like they might have a history which would make him a pedophile um but he also like she grabs his hand and he like like brushes it no off but but away. she also pointedly says something about like is that why you're so sad because you can't erase history and like very pointedly i don't know to me i got the implication that she was saying like we have a history and you can't you can't deny it, and gotcha. maybe he's trying to. Um, huh. Now maybe I'm misreading that scene, but yeah, that guy seems like he's got something weird with him. He could end up being a red herring as well. He's introduced awfully late for it to end up being him, but it could be. I don't know. I wonder if, if people who are like watch a lot of mysteries and read a lot of mysteries, if they could, you know, if it, what they would say about when the killer needs to be present for it to feel. Um, impactful yeah or or, yeah. or for it to feel like the, the author's playing fair because at right. a certain point it doesn't feel like the author's playing fair if the whole point is like it's, it's a whodunit and you haven't given us the person anywhere in the story until right before it's revealed then it might feel like like you've been cheated but i'm also just not 100 sure if that's what kind of story this is like i'm still i don't know i'm still figuring that out yeah 
so other characters about how about Alan? I, we kind of talked about him. For Alan, the most part, I, Alan, I think is up to something. I think he. I mean, we're repeatedly showed that he's powerless, that he's frustrated, that he is being controlled by Adora. So as he's a man and he could rip out teeth, and we're seeing him lash, we're seeing him potentially lashing out at the end of this episode. Um, he's suspicious. I don't think it's him ultimately, but he definitely. He definitely is a suspicious dude, in my opinion. I don't know. I, yeah, I don't know. I agree. It's with weird that. too. He's been a journey too, because I think I liked him more at, at the initial at the jump, because he felt like um he was trying to be diplomatic a lot of the time, instead of just being silent. Me too. And then he was also like you saw in like the flashbacks, he was there with a the birthday cake. Yeah. Um, and like he cared when when the mother didn't. Um, and so that leads me to I I agree. I think that that he definitely has something. There's something going on. Um, and then just Adora. What do you think about Adora? Yeah, Adora, I mean, she's she's a real piece of work in the show as well. I think uh, I do feel a little more empathy for her. I think they do a good job of showing how much her daughter's death affected her. Jackie saying that she used to be this free spirit, I think it was in episode two, you know, as free as a kite or something like that. And then and Camille can't even believe it. And but it seems to be true because she says like, no, I'm, you know, it's for real. And and the idea that maybe her daughter's death changed her so much, right, and has created her. And it's one of those things we talked about. I read I read the Philip Larkin poem <laughs> in the last episode, but just the idea of like you know pain begetting more pain, and 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 drama and trauma, you know, creating more, and and how damaged people can damage other people in turn, right? And we're yeah. seeing that on display in the show. Are there any other characters you wanted to highlight? I mean, Vickery, I think I, I he that there's something kind of suspicious going on with him. It seems like maybe him and Adora have this kind of agreement to cover things up or to like keep things under wraps. Yeah. And so he seems maybe a little bit corrupt, but I don't think he's the, you know, tooth killer. Yeah, me either. But I will say that he he earned a little check mark in the positive column for me when he was saying that like the festival thing that adora wants to to do he doesn't want that to happen so he's like standing up to her and saying yeah. like i don't want this to happen so yeah he's not yeah it's like it's like it's like not he's not in her pocket you right. know what i mean but yeah they have like a, something odd with their relationship but yeah no i and it's he's i love it because he's he's at times frustrating with his insistent that it was like a mexican day laborer um you know despite any evidence and so you get frustrated with him, but then you also see him getting his hands dirty and like, you know, getting out there and, and he, it seems like he really cares about this case, right? Like he's not just ignoring it. You know, his home life helps a little bit with that too, right? We see him at home with his with his wife and and I don't know, like his, it's clearly a routine he has and how he's out there every day working mm-hmm. in this town. I don't know. Like I, I, I like him as much as I am suspicious of him at the same time. So I guess the last couple of people are just John Keane and Bob Nash. Where do you land on them? I don't think Bob Nash did it. And I think we're going to get confirmation that he didn't coming up here. What form that'll take, I don't know. Uh, John is interesting. And, and I'm starting to wonder if this isn't, this isn't actually a serial killer as much as maybe uh someone trying to cover it up and make it seem like it was a serial killer right like that could be that i feel like if nothing the show has made me realize that it's definitely not just one person going around serial killing it might be a serial i think it'll be i think it could be somebody who's a serial killer who's being assisted by others but i don't think it's a one person going around killing people yeah well when we talked about the two different mlos right and so it almost could be like one person killed somebody and then somebody else in response killed them in a similar way 
and mm-hmm. to try to make it look yeah yeah to try and make it look like it was the same person but it wasn't and yeah i don't know and is john well, well, is john potentially one of them like did he kill one of the girls not his sister but the other one you know what i mean right well i also wonder if because i have a i have a strong feeling that we're going to see somebody else another kid die you think so i think so and then i think that will either lead us into like a full serial killer or or i just have a feeling that another kid is going to die god this show is so dark <laughs> <laughs> yeah um and I, I guess it's a good thing that i love this kind of stuff because otherwise it would, it would just depress me um but th- like I, I i mean i i love dark fiction i love dark stories and horror and and grim dark fantasy and you know this kind of stuff um i, I murder mysteries um, especially really dark ones from like <laughs> britain and stuff i lo- like some of my favorite shows on like netflix um mm-hmm. i just i've always been drawn to it and it's, it's really interesting to me so are you talking um, about like luther yeah, Luther, um, Broadchurch, Broadchurch. Uh, yeah. God, there's more. I just yeah. can't think of the top of my head. Um, good stuff. Yeah, there's a lot of those kind of like because like British people love their procedurals, right? Um, and uh, but they do them so well too. So mm-hmm. yeah, The Killing is an American one that I that I enjoyed. Um, you know, I have quibbles with all these shows, but in certain ways. But um, <laughs> overall, like, it, I just like those kind of shows. And whenever I see one pop up, it's like a new one, and I'm like, ooh, <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I, I, I want to give it a try. Um, and this show is like the perfect. It's like one of those, but like even better. Like this is mm-hmm. like at its highest form. This kind of show, um, in my opinion, so far. We got to see if it sticks the landing, but I, I, I it has nothing has led me to believe it won't. Well, I know, I know, we don't know how the book, I don't know how the book ends. Right. You don't know how the book ends. Right. We don't know how the show ends, but we know that people love it. So I'm assuming that it, that it holds up. So we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. So last episode, we came up with some theories based on just our book reading. Now that we've seen the show as well, let's update those theories and see if anything's changed and see where we're at with the killer, Mr. Mur- Mystery Murderer here. Yeah, that sounds good, man. I, I, I put forth a theory about Adora that I think has maybe changed a little bit. So we'll, we'll save that for the very end. Uh, before we get there, I want to thank a, a patron who's been helping us out, Andrew M. Uh, he's, he's you know, given us his money to help this show go. And, and we just want to thank all our patrons uh, that they, they're really making this thing possible and helping us keep going. We're going to be recording our next bonus episode later this month and we're releasing that to patrons only. So if you want to learn more about that, go to patreon.com forward slash ink to film and you can see what kind of stuff we're offering. Also, if you wanted to connect with us on social media, we're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All of those at Ink to Film. Yeah, and we hope you reach out. And another way you can reach out, uh, send us an email, inktofilm at gmail.com. We'd just love to hear your take on this show, this book, and your experience with it. We just ask you don't spoil us. But other than that, we just love to hear from you. And thank you to Ross Bugden for the use of our intro and outro music. Okay, so Adora and Miriam, update me. What do you think now that we've seen the show? Yeah, so last episode, I put forth the theory that Adora you know, through some sort of, I don't know what the syndrome's called. I don't know if it's Munchausen's by proxy or whatever it is. But it's, the you know, if she was somehow poisoning Marion in order to get attention, right? And and we, uh, you know what else? And one of the reasons why I think this changed is we didn't get the baby biting scene from the book. Yeah. And so I feel like we haven't got the, as much of an implication that maybe Adora is actually like kind of a psycho. So because of that, I feel like that theory is on less steady ground. <laughs> like it could still be true, but um, it's making me doubt whether or not that's the way we're going to go. I don't know. You also had a theory about Adora, though, possibly being tied up in the murders themselves. So so where are you at with that now? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that Adora is definitely still involved in some way. 
and I feel like the slaughterhouse has something to do with it. And she, her scheming with, with Vickery is like an added thing now. But I also think that there's something weird going on with Alan. And maybe like Alan is doing something and then because she loves him, but she's disgusted by him, she can't be near him and doesn't want to be around him and stuff, uh. but she's willing to cover it up. Yeah. But I also think that your theory still has some some weight to it because we get these like lingering shots of like whatever you call the thing that holds those the bags of fluid for, and hospitals. IVs. We get like lingering shots of that bag. by yeah. by like the bed and stuff. And I think that idea of Adora needing somebody to need her yeah. is is like like if somebody was if she was like making her sick then she would need Adora and Adora would be able to just always be around her and treat her like a doll again. Well, and all of my all of my empathy for that character evaporates if that's true, right? Because it's all right. just it's it's been manufactured to make people feel sorry for her. Right. Um when she's actually the one causing all these problems. And that could I mean, I there is a certain poetic justice to that, right? Or not justice, but just like it it kind of fits the story. And so I could, I guess I could still see it being a thing. Um, this show has just done a good job to kind of make me look the other way. So maybe that'll just make the reveal that much stronger. I don't know. Well, I'm looking forward to, to reading the rest of the most of the rest of this and watching it. Yeah, man. So we got three more episodes coming out. We outlined it at the beginning. We hope you we hope you'll join us for all of them. Um, even if you're not a book reader, uh, you know, we hope you'll check out the book episodes and maybe you wait a little bit until you've seen some of the show, some more of the show. Who knows? But uh, we just hope you check it out. All our content on this one, because, uh, yeah, it all it all kind of plays together. And, and I think it gives a cohesive uh, chronicle of our journey with this book, which I don't know, hopefully is interesting. Yeah. All I know is that this fin- that finale episode in like what 3 weeks is going to be it's going to be bonkers. It's going to be cool. Because we're going to get the finale of the book and the show. Yeah. Which we've uh, never so done like that before, so it'll be really interesting to see how that it'll be how a that, big how finale. That goes. All right. Well, until then, I'm Luke and I'm James. All right. See you later. <laughs>